Love your propane grill? Well, life just got a little easier with Propane Taxi. Stop lugging that tank. Propane Taxi is a propane grill tank home delivery service that's ridiculously easy and convenient. Just go online, choose a delivery date, and Propane Taxi delivers grill tanks straight to your door. You can exchange any brand of tank. And right now, new customers get their first tank exchange for $10 with promo code TANK10. That's $10 for your first tank exchange with promo code TANK10. Visit PropaneTaxi.com. No contact, no commitment, no problem. So welcome everyone to, I guess, episode four now of Mental Roots. Uh, my name is Nathan Aday. Uh, I've just graduated from an undergraduate course in animation. So uh, I'm a huge fan in animation. I've, I'm just a huge creative fan in general. And at the moment, I'm working on a commissioned short film, um, which is focused on the Black British experience. And it's meant to empower, especially young Black Brits, young Black British men, um, to be honest about their experiences with mental health and for us just to have dialogue. And that's the short film I'm working on at the moment. Um, and so to promote that, I'm doing this podcast, Mental Roots, where I chop it up with a few experts in different um, fields of expertise to have their perspective on mental health, which I'm using as research to aid this animated film, which is being commissioned by the BBC. And today I have a great guest with me, um, in fact, I'm, I'm so happy with this guy's work. I don't think I can do him justice with my <laughs> introduction. So I'll let him introduce himself. His name is Leo Flowers. And Leo, just take it away. Just introduce yourself to the listeners and what you do. Man, first of all, uh, I'm so honored to be one of the first guests on your podcast. This is incredible. It's remarkable. I love what you're doing. Um, and I love that I'm grateful for this opportunity to be able to reach uh, a British audience and 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 connect with people overseas. I'm I'm in San Diego currently hanging out. Uh, my name is Leo Flowers. Uh, I also have a podcast. Uh, it's a suicide prevention podcast called Before You Kill Yourself, mm. um, and it's just a title that uh, is is a reminder that there's a small window between stimulus and response between you wanting to end your life and uh, you wanting to thrive and live. Um, mm. And so there's stories, uh, psychologists, et cetera, et cetera, on the podcast sharing mm. their stories and uh, ideas. I'm also a comedian. I've, I've performed in uh, London at the Comedy Store and other places. And uh, I was I was planning my comeback trip uh, before this quarantine hit. So ah. uh, we'll find <laughs> ways to connect with my my British brethren uh, over there. Um, and then also Life Coach. Uh, you go to thrivewithleo.com. That's where you can get a one-on-one experience with yours truly. Uh, because, uh, you know, I'm on this podcast because with all the things that I've, I've been able to do throughout my life, from playing college football, uh, playing in a bowl game, uh, traveling the world, I've been to five continents, uh, wow. With only Australia and Antarctica, um, <laughs> not yet conquered, but yeah. uh, we're going to make that happen somehow. Yeah. Um, but even 
uh, with all those different uh, things that I, I've been able to do throughout my life, uh, there, there are internal struggles and battles as, uh, as we all have. And so my, my purpose in life is so that you don't feel lonely, so that you don't feel like you are the only one going through what you're going through. Uh, we, we all are experiencing it uh, on some level. Uh, so I, I just want to highlight those voices so we can all feel more connected. Mm, that's awesome, Leo. Thank you for your time. And again, uh, this is a very early podcast. There's probably not many people listening at the moment, but I'm optimistic that that will increase. And as the people look back in the archive, they'll really um, enjoy this interview. Um, so, yeah, like you heard in the introdu introduction, uh, I'm not I'm nobody famous, but I just have a passion to use media and um, different creative outlets that I like to just um, number one to positively inspire people. Um, so I am I am Christian as well. That kind of influences some of the stuff I do, but I do have a passion to really um, speak to lots of different types of people, and yeah, just make more meaningful content. And as I said, I do that through animation. I've started doing podcasting. I've got another podcast called Hashtag Faith Talk, which is where I talk to different people from different faiths. Um, it's mostly been other Christians, but I've spoken to some Muslims as well. And not just what they believe, but how living out their faith feels like in the 21st century, especially in Western society. You know, how do they balance that with the different social pressures and things like that? So that's another podcast I'm, I'm one year deep into. And yeah, I'm just excited. I'm very much at the start of my, I guess, media journey, and I'm excited to see where it's heading. So thank you for your time. And um, just to give you a heads up on what I've been listening to, I've listened to not uh, probably just two episodes of your podcast, but in depth. So I listened to your chat with Tarek Trotter and uh, Dr. Lulu. You probably remember those conversations. Yeah, great content, very deep, very great guests, very inspirational stories and insights as well. Um, I guess we'll get to that later, but I want to start with your story. I want to start with just your journey growing up. Did Have you always lived in San Diego or did you grow up in another part of America? Just kind of take us through your experience growing up as a black American and um, just kind of your first exposure to the whole idea of mental health. Because I feel like, first of all, as black people, the, the term mental health isn't really our way of describing how we feel. Um, I think we have our own dialogue and obviously the incredible thing about being black is that there's so many variations of it. The way you speak in, you know, parts of diaspora like America is very much different to the way we might articulate ourselves in Britain and elsewhere in the world as well. So um, just kind of chop up, you know, how you grew up and your first sort of exposure to the term mental health or to the term or, or to things like being vulnerability and things like that. If that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Um, thank you for the answer. Uh, question. The, you know, I grew up uh, always feeling accepted, but never a part of. Uh, and, and what I mean is, um, you know, I'm from Chicago, uh, the north side, which is a very mm -hmm. diverse area of Chicago. Uh, I grew up in a Section 8 building, which is like ah, uh, right. people who need financial assistance, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, everybody in the building uh, was there uh, because of uh, some government assistance uh, mm. and credit and uh, not, not not feeling like I was in poverty, um, yeah. but aware of 
of but aware of of poverty aware of what that looks like aware of you know there were there'd be like uh drug needles that i had to sweep off the stairs so that wow. my uh sister wouldn't step on it i have i have a sister who's four years younger than me and i would get up early on the weekends for some reason they were always there on the weekends in the building and i would i would wake up early saturday morning and sweep those off and I would paint the walls and the hallways because there would be graffiti, things like that. Mm. But uh, although I grew up in a building that was a Section 8 building, I was also I also grew up in a neighborhood that was between two major uh, Ivy League universities. I grew up between wow. Loyola University and mm. Northwestern University. So mm. I was always seeing people with backpacks. You know, <laughs> I was always seeing people going to school. So the, the idea of school and education was something that was ingrained in me from an early age but 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 juxtaposed uh with that image was also the gangs and the violence all of my friends have been uh assaulted or had some type of whether it was a gang affiliation or they uh some type of gang interaction uh that you know that they didn't welcome uh mm. that there was that, that was always in the background also i was fortunate to not um, have any type of uh, gang uh, interaction by the grace of God. He saved me one time. This mm. car full of uh, uh, cholos pulled up and yeah. they were ready to, to jump me as they had just jumped all my friends. I had a friend in a hospital at the time. And well, wait, how old were you at this time? I was, uh, I had to be, uh, uh, I was in middle school. So I was wow. like 12. Mm. I was about but you know that that's part of the um, that's the side effect of growing up uh, uh, faster than you you are and looking older than you are. I've always like I've always had facial hair. I've always had I've always been tall. I've always had a deep voice. So at the age of twelve, I looked like I was twenty. I, I was always <laughs> mistaken. For my mom's husband, you know. Oh no! Uh, but but the side effect of that was that gangs, you know, thought I was formidable. I was I was mm. a threat, and wow. cops thought I was uh, a threat also. And and so they would would you know roll up on me. What gang am I from? Where am I going? That type of harassment. Uh, so there was some downsides, but there was some upsides, obviously, to, to maturing faster uh, than everyone else. So I, I, I started, out at, started off at a public school as a kid. And then in the fourth grade, my mom put us in a, a Catholic school. So I went from a black, you know, primarily Methodist Baptist school to a white Catholic school. Wow. So once again, I'm in this situation where I feel accepted, but I don't feel like I'm a part of. I'm, mm. I'm just going with the flow, right? Yeah. Uh, my friends... They're involved in gangs, so I feel like I'm ex I'm still accepted by my friends, even though I'm not in a gang. But I feel like I'm, I'm a, like these are still my boys, even though I'm not yeah. doing what they're doing uh, on some level. Um, and and so I go from that to then uh, playing uh, college football. I got a scholarship, and I go from Chicago to Indiana. Mm -hmm. So once again. Indiana's is very it's, it's it's in the it's in the Midwest, but it feels like it's in the South if you've never been. It has a very Southern vibe to it. It's where the mm. KKK started and uh, close to where my university was. So once again, I felt accepted 
because I'm an athlete, you know, I'm art, I was articulate, I'm yeah. friendly. Yeah, absolutely. But I didn't feel a part of. And wow. uh, even growing up, my mom is Belizean as she's from Central America. So every okay. summer she would take us to Belize and we would spend our summers down there. Mm-hmm. And again, I felt accepted by family, by the culture, by the community. But I didn't feel like I was a part of. I didn't, you know, uh, they were open sewers. They, they had a way of speaking. And, and my mom didn't want me, my sister and I, to speak with that dialogue or that dialect. So mm-hmm. I, I'm accepted, but I can't be a part of, right? <laughs> and so there's this whole thing of, of, of being the... Uh, of being an observer uh, through life. And so some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package, but that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from GEICO because they help save people money. GEICO? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Uh, uh, the, the upside, though, of that is that uh, I've learned to adapt and can navigate, uh, I feel like, any type of social situation, whether I'm amongst the, the rich or the poor or yeah. uh, the thugs or the, the saints, uh, whether I'm in, you know, I've done shows in Pakistan and in Europe and uh, in Asia. And, uh, you know, I've, I just got back from Peru. So these are all places where, once again, I felt accepted, but never a part of. And so it, it's allowed me and I think it's, it's uh, put in me this, this planet to seed for me to to want to travel the world and visit all seven continents and, and see what the world is like and see what, what people are like and, and to realize we're all the same people. After, after you get over the initial shock, you know, when mm-hmm. I was in Egypt, after you get over the initial shock of, of camels and uh, <laughs> 10 people on a scooter wow. uh, and, uh, you know, the, the sounds and the smells and the food, like people are people. They, they come down to love and fear. It, it comes mm-hmm. down, it's all about family. That's why when you look at the, the top grossing movies, uh, it's, it's about family. You look at the Fast and Furious. They're on the Fast and Furious 8 or 9. Why? <laughs> yeah. Because they're talking about family. Even True. if you're not in the cars, even if you're not in the guns, you're, yeah. you're into family. You're into wanting to feel like you belong somewhere and connected. And yeah. so these, these movies that highlight that Titanic uh, was about love. Who doesn't yeah. understand that love? Crosses boundaries. I say it again. Love that crosses boundaries, cultural boundaries. Absolutely. So mm. when, when we when we're talking uh, about anything, at the root of all of it, there's always going to be some type of emotion, whether we're talking about love or fear. And so the sooner that we can get to that that root, that foundation of either one of those emotions, 
the sooner we can connect with each other. What do you love? Like two yeah. people who love sports, they immediately connect. Two people who love books, they immediately connect. Two people who are afraid of, um, uh, you know, uh, firecrackers, they bond over that. So love and fear, that, that's what we should be talking about. And that's how we connect with people mm. uh, th throughout the world. Yeah, greatly said. You touched on so many things there in terms of, you know, and already now I feel like you've, I, I have a good sense of what you grew up on. And obviously something you kept repeating was, I felt accepted, but not truly, I guess, integrated. Like my opinion was actually central to the environment that I was in. That's what I'm getting at. Um, and I'd say, again, I can only speak for myself as an individual. I can't be the spokesperson for all black British people. Um, but I guess there are a lot of commonalities that I can uh, relate with in the sense that me personally, I've never felt racially attacked as such. Although now looking back on my life, I can see how certain things in the way some of my peers at school treated me might have been racially influenced. But apart from that, I've always felt accepted in one way or another in whatever setting that I've been in. Um, but never true, but more often than not feeling like if there were certain things I didn't think about, then the other people in the room would not be aware. I've always had to feel like I have to be a spokesperson in some way. Um, and I've always had to um, learn to adjust before giving my influence, if that makes sense. Um, so it's interesting because I grew up in London. I grew up in similar to you. It might, it, it doesn't sound as severe as your um, Section 8 situation, but um, I did grow up in a flat as well. Um, it did smell quite a lot of smoke and all sorts of things. Um, when I was little, it, it smelled like piss to me as well. It sounded, <laughs> smelled, smelled pretty bad. And yeah. it was, pre, you know, a predominantly sort of ethnic minority area. So this is like um, near Brixton, South London. Um, and I have mostly positive memories there. I had a friend of mine who was like a Nigerian family, which was on the floor below. And we were good friends with that family. Um, I went... Uh, I still remember the boy's name. His name was Tayo, and we used to go to the same school. And, um, yeah, I, I think when I moved out from there and I moved to Essex, which was um, kind of East England, still kind of within the London area, but on the border just outside, um, that's a much more predominantly white area. Um, and, yeah, I, I just... It was there then that I started to experience bullying in my primary school. So this was when I was about eight or nine. Um, and looking back, I've realized there was always a group of white boys who was bullying me. Uh, I don't know why, but um, I remember one time, uh, I don't know how this happened, but I had one of my shoes stolen and I never got it back. And I was quite secretive. I think even then, mentally, I felt the drain of being the other. I'd, at the time, I wasn't aware of any sort of racial um, component that would have influenced that. But at the time and growing up, I always felt like I was being picked on in some way or shape or form. And I think, I'm sure you can relate to this, that as a black male growing up, it's funny because in, on one hand, we have this side to us that's very vocal. You know, hip hop music helps us to find, I guess, a loud identity or this outer shell of confidence. 
um, that I guess a lot of it is performed to some extent. But then on the inside, I always felt insecure. Uh, I hardly ever told my parents that I was being bullied. Um, and it was only through, I had a childminder um, who picked me up from school. And literally the kid who was bullying me was right in front. Like these are parents picking up their children and he was bully, bullying me right there and then. And it was at that moment that my childminder noticed that I was being bullied. And then she in turn told my parents. So, you know, it, it was kind of like, um, it got revealed <laughs> in a, in a, you know, like if, if you don't reveal it yourself, it will be revealed in some other way, shape or form. Um, so that was my experience growing up. And just as you were growing up as well, how did, I guess, your experience as a black person and the different influences that you were exposed to, how did that influence the perception you had of yourself as a man or as a young man growing up and what it means to be a man, what it means to be emotionally stable, you know, how, how did your perspective, or how was your perspective on that influenced? And, you know, I guess also tell the story of how you learn to be more aware of your own emotions and to break out of certain cycles of thought that you had about yourself. Man, you know, that's such a powerful question. And, it's, and I have to be honest, like I'm still deciphering mm. and peeling back the layers on how my race uh, affected my perception and, and my feelings of, of being a man. I'm, I'm very well aware of uh, of how it, on some levels, has increased uh, my uh, anxiety and uh, heightened my awareness. And what I mean is, uh, when we're talking about we're talking about mental health. This is the Mental Roots podcast. Mm. Um, as and and men in general, some men in general experience this for yeah, different yeah. reasons. Definitely. Uh, but as a black man, I experience it. Uh, uh, it's almost like a double down of if I'm walking down the street and there's a woman walking towards me, uh, I'm aware of I'm a male walking towards a woman. I pose a threat if it's especially if it's late at night and we're the only two. So do I walk out into the streets so that she understands that? Uh, I'm not a threat and that it's okay for her to pass through. Do I mm. keep walking towards her uh, so that she learns that people who look like me aren't a threat and so that I don't feel like a threat and it also is for me also so that uh, I don't feel like a threat because I'm assuming that mm. she is interpreting me. I mean, she can know Taekwondo and it could take me <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm a man and she's a woman and uh, Leo threat. She, she dope, you know, like, I don't know, you know, she might yeah. know she, she could be Ronda Rousey in a, in a hoodie. And I have no idea. So, but I'm, I'm aware of that though. I'm aware of that. And so there's a, there's a heightened, uh, it brings a certain level of anxiety with that. Uh, but you get that with, with, a with two men walking towards each other uh, at, at night of like, you know, is this a guy? Is he a threat? Is this uh, is he a friend or foe? Right. Um, and, and so you don't you're not aware of that. And then bring race into it. You're, you know, it's like depending on what you just saw in the news, that can heighten your own personal awareness. This is why, you know, you have to limit uh, and, and I say limit. I don't say ignore the news. Some people be like, yeah. oh, stop watching the news. 
Well, yeah, we have sorry, one, second, one second. One second. Right. I've got okay. someone in the room. So. Okay, got you. Yeah, yeah. Bring him in. Yeah, special guest already. I love it. <laughs> it's my little sister. Bring um, her in. But yeah. Oh no, no. She's just. I'm just gonna take say something to her quickly. One sec. Hello. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> I promise. Yeah, I promised my sister a game of Scrabble, and yeah, oh. just. She <laughs> How said, old is she? Oh. She's um nine. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can't yeah. break that promise now. You can't yeah, break so it. I said yeah. definitely we'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities are up in the district, and I need your help to reverse this trend. Seatbelt save lives and reduce the risk of death or injury. Click it or ticket. Um, but yeah, sorry. Um, so yeah, you were talking about a kind of exposure to the news and keeping the balance yeah, because uh, it can heighten your perception of what the world looks like if, if you've been if you've been watching the news and and they're reporting about you know a black man did this and a black man robbed that person and then you start to internalize their idea of what a black man is and then yeah. that how you it heightens your anxiety in those mm -hmm. situations so we we have to be aware of how what we're feeding ourselves and the stories and the ideas and um, and, and to make sure that we're combating that uh, yeah. with positive stories, whether that's through uh, reading books, like I'm reading uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King right now, right? Mm. Uh, and, uh, but you know, uh, but there, you don't have to read those guys. It's just any, any positive black male influence so that you can, yeah. you can plant those seeds and have that mm. as a blueprint of how to move about the world and, uh, and, and how to think about yourself versus the narrative that's painted in social media, which we know is is meant to be for the most part incendiary, uh, and and to, and to to light us up. They're they're not there really for us. And when I say us, I just mean a general public. They're they're there to present with mostly salacious news. So to make sure you're feeding your your brain things that are nourishing that make you feel uh, empowered and uh, good about yourself and and uh, bring you a level of peace and serenity. Um, and so. As I become more aware of that and more aware of what I'm feeding myself and 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 how I want to think about the world, uh, it's taken. It's with the idea that I I can take race out the picture a bit more, versus filtering everything through race, mm -hmm. versus filtering everything through being a man. It's like how 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 do I move about the world as a person, as an individual? Because yeah. you know, when when you look into the eyes of your nine year old sister, she's not mm -hmm. she's not registering for the most part race yeah. and, and masculinity and manhood. Like she, you're just a, to her, you're a person, and and so she's looking to see how do people treat people, right? It's like I know you told your sister you're gonna play Scrabble with her today. <laughs> I said today, I even if it's for two minutes. Play Scrabble with your sister because she's going to remember mm. that. She's going to remember that you made a promise mm. and then and she's going to remember that you broke it. And so that's going to go into her box of how she filters it. And I have a younger sister and I remember all the times I said I would do things with her and then I never did. And I see her and not that I'm responsible for how she's uh, interacting, her interactions with men and her relationships. But I recognize that I'm a part of how she filters men and relationships and people based on how I interacted with her. So 
all these all these small these are the, these are the tiny things that we we have to pay attention to um, because it's very easy to get overwhelmed when we think about the world and its issues. We're, the, we're talking about global warming. We're talking yeah. about the pandemic. Uh, we're talking about uh, racial issues. But really, the work starts in the home. It mm. starts with the people who are closest to you. It starts with your sister. It starts with your spouse. It starts with your neighbor, right? And because the, the, that, that trickles out. It's, it's like the butterfly effect. And so I don't have to go walk the streets and protest every day. My protest mm. would be making friends with my neighbor who I've never talked to in the two years that we've been neighbors. My mm. protest could be spending time with my younger sister who I got other things more important to do than to, than to play these games. But, <laughs> but this relationship is important because down the road, it's going to show up in some form or fashion. Right. Mm. So it's all about what are the seeds that I can plant around me? What's the little garden I can grow in my backyard or my front yard? Uh, that's going to make a difference. I have to plant gardens in everybody's yard. But what mm. can I do that's close to me to make an impact? Great points there. Uh, <laughs> got me feeling guilty about the scrabble situation. But I mean, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I agree with you because. Even for me personally, you know, um, even prior to the whole George Floyd situation, I always knew that um, race issues all over the world, you know, should be addressed. But again, I, you know, I, like you said, I realized it all starts with me. It starts with the people I'm closest to. You want to be in it? Are you sure? You want to say hi quickly? <laughs> My sister wants to say hi quickly. What's your name? Uh, Lois. Lois. Yep. Hi, Lois. I'll just take my headphones out. You want to say hello? Hi. <laughs> how are you, Lois? Says, how are you? How are you? No, how are oh. you? <laughs> <laughs> Scrabble is your favorite game? Is it? No. No? It's okay. We've got a few games, so... <laughs> But you're learning to enjoy it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. She's a bit shy, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you my brother's friend? I am. I'm your brother's friend. You know, uh, I'm reading... I just finished today a book uh, about Genghis Khan. And Genghis Khan revered brothers or men that he met um, as truer brothers than his blood brothers. He would call them Are an American? Yeah, he's American. <laughs> Are you in New York? I'm in Los I'm in I'm close to Los Angeles. I'm in California. Oh California, I guessed it. There's a YouTuber who lives in California. I watch her YouTube channel. Who is it? Casey Neistat? Um Sophie Dossie. Oh, Sophie Darcy. Oh. <laughs> She's a contortionist on America's Got Talent. Uh, so have you been out here before? Are you going to come see her? Oh, I wish I could, but I don't know. <laughs> All right, one day you put that on your vision board, and I'm sure it'll happen. Put it in your journal. Okay. Mom's calling you. Yeah? See. We'll see. Yes, Mom. <laughs>
Sorry, I wasn't expecting that, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, even family, like you said, is important and starting with loving those around you, you know, and like you said earlier, the commonalities we have with different types of people, even if we can't choose our family, there's still common human things that we can connect on, you know, the things we love, the things we're afraid of, etc., etc. So even in this time during lockdown, which is a whole other topic in itself, how lockdown is influencing our mental health and the way we communicate. Um, but I feel for me, definitely, I've been challenged more to spend more time with my brother and my sister. So yeah, it's just little things like that. Um, and I, that brings me on to, I guess, lockdown. And um, I, have you still been able to um, counsel people over the internet uh, and to coach them? Uh, have any of them been sort of black people as well? And if so, um, is there anything you're noticing about how lockdown is influencing certain types of people and compared to how other types of people are dealing with lockdown? Um, just kind of what are the things that you've been seeing in terms of your your life coaching, I guess? Uh, the, the You know, one of the primary things recently has been uh, dealing with their... Uh, their spouse, how to connect with theirs, because a lot of people are either spending uh, less time with their spouse or more time. It's, it's, it's completely exaggerated or completely switched what was happening before. And so teaching my, my clients and the people I work with, how do they speak? How do they connect? How do they form intimacy uh, and, and discover new things about the, this person that they, they've been with for years and maybe even decades in some cases. Um, but it's always been, you know, they were both getting up, going to work, and then they would see each other uh, at dinner time. And now they're getting up and then they're seeing each other, you know, all day for the most part. And then if they have kids, the kids are home. And, and now it's like, uh, who's, who's, who, who does the dishes? Who's, <laughs> who's going to do the laundry? We're cooking more. We're doing more laundry. We got more chores, uh, you know, uh, and, and there, it requires more energy. So and then and then the, what but what really has come up is how much energy, how much time do I spend with my significant other? And then how do I take some time to myself without feeling guilty? As you mentioned, right, it's like you you love these people you're around, but you at the same time have to figure out how do you how do you take care of yourself so that you can continue to take care of the people around you and be present for them? So we, we found some, we, we always coming up with different tools and strategies. Uh, there are three things I would, I would recommend for people who are struggling with self-care mm. uh, and taking some time for themselves. One is... I'm afraid that is the end of this part of this interview. Stay tuned for the next part of the interview in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Peace.
At American Public University, we believe higher education is not one size fits all. That's why we offer 200 modern programs that build on your knowledge and fit your schedule. Because we believe universities should adapt to the needs of students, not the other way around. American Public University, within reach, without limits. Online classes start every month. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities are up in the district, and I need your help to reverse this trend. Seatbelts save lives and reduce the risk of death or injury. Click it or ticket.